It's summer, and you'd think that there's not much to talk about, but that's where you're wrong. And Gab and Grow is here to help provide you with just the information you'll need to get started on the right foot at WCSU. Today, as a special orientation feature, we're going to hear from some of our support service areas, places that you'll want to become familiar with because they can be of great help to you as you start off here with your student life. I'm Mary Beth Griffin, Gavin Grow's host, and I'll be here to help guide you through this web of support. Usually the podcasts are about 20 to 25 minutes long. These orientation sessions are going to be a bit longer than normal because we have so much to share. So sit back in a comfy chair in the sun with your favorite summer beverage as we take a listen. The first stop we'll take is the Tutoring Resource Center. Here's a bit from last year's coordinator, Kara Swenson. Um, let's just jump right in. Can you tell us what is the Tutoring Resource Center? Sure. So the Tutoring Resource Center is an open, um, versatile space in the Haas Library. And pretty much there's peer-to-peer -peer help and academic support there specific to a course. So we go over um, or tutors go over um, specifically the content in the course, uh, mm -hmm. for instance, if a biology or chemistry course, and works one-to-one -one on strategic thinking, critical analysis, and also going over those um, key concepts. Okay. And you are located in the library, as I said earlier. Can you tell us more about where? Yeah, so we're on the second floor of Haas Library uh, here on Midtown Campus. And it's located pretty much on the floor itself. But there's also the office, which is the Tutoring Resource Office, which is my office okay. here um, as coordinator. And um, it's Haas uh, 206. Okay, so questions. how does it work for somebody? It, you said it's very course-specific for them, so? Yep. Um, so specifically, uh, you would go and look for a course if it's the one you're currently enrolled in, which would be bio maybe 105 or 106. And then you would look for um, that in our schedule and then also see which tutors match up with uh, that course as well as their experience and then make an appointment um, with that tutor. Uh, you can make a tutoring appointment online. That would be the first and foremost thing. Um, and that would be found at our website. Um, you can just click in the search bar in the top of the uh, Westcon homepage, mm -hmm. just tutoring, and we're the first link that pops up. Um, so if you just wanted to go, that's nice the easiest, easy. yeah, <laughs> yeah. easiest method there. So Great. Um, so if I come in, what's, what's a typical appointment? How does that go? Yeah, sure. So um, first off, you're going to go into the tutoring center and you're going to look for um, one of our tutors who has on a lanyard and it's going to say staff and it's going to also have a green uh, name tag as well. Uh, typically, the tutor waits over by the uh, cushion section and also the mm -hmm. desk, the main help desk that we have set up there. So you'll most likely identify your tutor right away. And then you would go over to one of the tables or study rooms on the second floor or perhaps in the library and then work um, on looking at well, first off, the course assignment, if it's mm -hmm. a course, or if you're struggling with the test itself or an upcoming exam, um, looking at maybe a study review packet mm -hmm. or uh, perhaps the content that the professor mentioned would maybe be in the exam. And then also you would go through basically the overview of what the struggles that you have been going through as a student. Um, perhaps it's even just time management. Uh, perhaps it's just a few of those key concepts or formulas that are integrated into the um, course itself. And then from there, the tutor will recognize, okay, 
maybe they need a little more background knowledge on mm -hmm. this perhaps key concept. And then from there, it's really a back and forth developing of let's go through this a little more in depthly. Let's do a little mm -hmm. more critical analysis here. Uh, perhaps you should ask your professor this. And sometimes even an index card um, is what we ask the tutors to bring. And what they'll do is, is they'll write out a few of the overview mm -hmm. uh, points that were made throughout the session. Uh, and that's key because then that index card can be brought, you know, back and forth to another right. session or perhaps just right before the test go and uh, for a student to review it. So those are uh, a few of the things that happen within a session. Having those notes with you from mm -hmm. either the lecture or even just through your reading on your own, uh, that helps often. And then coming with at least three or four questions mm -hmm. for that tutor that then you have narrowed down. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes what happens with the tutoring session is um, oftentimes there's a large expectations to get all of this done in one right. session. And sometimes it takes multiple sessions mm -hmm. to get through even one or two concepts. So by narrowing down the questions or even mm -hmm. um, the section in the textbook, that often helps a tutor then uh, focus into that spot for you. If, if a student panics at some point in time and they haven't set up an appointment for something, do you have walk-in hours for things, or is it really a by appointment kind of? It's by appointment mainly, um, and that's because the tutor is coming from a class perhaps or from their own schedule. So mm -hmm. we try to make it based off of what when the tutor is available. Mm -hmm. And um, we would love to staff, you know, 20 to 25 tutors yeah. all the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's by appointment. But okay. what the great part about it is is that you can do it the night before. It's 24 hours okay. in advance. So as long as you make it before that 24-hour mm -hmm. period, then you can get um, an appointment with us. And then also there's the writing center and the math clinic mm -hmm. that both have those walk-in okay. drop-by hours so that we can also pair it with that oh, as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to come up there and just study, is there space for that? or? Yes, there is. Um, there's quite a bit of space for tables and just also group studying, mm -hmm. um, going through projects. Even if it's not for meeting up with a tutor, mm -hmm. the second floor is open in the Haas Library to do so, um, to just study and, and have a quiet space. The Tutoring Resource Center has a new coordinator this year, Lauren Eddy. We'll be updating the Tutoring Resource podcast in the fall to hear from Lauren and to hear more about what you can expect from the Tutoring Resource Center this year. One of the best spots to find help in the Haas Library is in the Writing Center. Let's hear a little bit more about it from Dr. Kelly Custer, the coordinator of the Writing Center and a professor in writing, linguistics, and the creative process. Um, let's get right into it. Can you start off by just telling us what is the Writing Center and where is it? So the Writing Center is on the third floor of Haas Library. We're tucked in a corner with wonderful windows. It's a welcoming space where students can come um, at any stage of their writing with writing for any class. Uh, at, you can come in for a variety of things. It's a place where you can come that's friendly. You can get help with your writing. And we love to see all levels of writers. Every writer needs a reader. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just, you know, echo your sentiments. It's a great space. It's, it's beautiful views of the campus, and it's really welcoming and comfortable there. So Great. Um, can you talk about, like, during a normal appointment, what can students expect happens during that? And, you know, is it helpful for them to bring a draft already or... Do they have to have any of their writing done before they come? 
So uh, students can, uh, our sessions, which can be appointments or walk-ins, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, a session, we allow for 45 minutes for a session, but it doesn't have to be that entire time. And generally what happens is we'll, you'll work with a tutor, a fellow student, um, describe the assignment, and we'll figure out what you need for that day. You can bring a draft or not. You can come in with just the assignment and really no clue. Mm-hmm. We can help you generate ideas. We can help you organize the paper. We can help you um, with grammar and mechanics. We can help you with a variety of issues. So you don't have to stay the entire time as mm-hmm. well. If it's something that you need um, a shorter amount of time, we'll help you figure that out. Okay. And, you know, you said you could do it as a walk-in or as an appointment. Is there a preference for which people do or...? Our only guideline is that you need at least one hour after the session to work on the paper yourself before it's due. That's really our only guideline, main guideline. Um, Appointments are a really good idea, especially as the semester progresses and we Mm -hmm. get busier. It's nice to be able to make an appointment if you're during the middle of the night trying to work on a paper and you think, ah, what am I going to do? You know you'll have that appointment Mm -hmm. at a certain time. But we absolutely accept walk-ins. If we have the available session, we will work Mm -hmm. with a walk-in. We um, are able to answer some quick questions when needed as well. And one last thing. Sure. Uh, please visit our website. To, Absolutely. To make an appointment, if you need an appointment, you can come to the Writing Center and we'll help you make it. Or you can go to our website and schedule it at any time. Uh, the website is wcsu.edu slash writing center. And that's all one word. Yep. Of course, you can also find it by searching the university website and, I will say, <laughs> through Google. Students who are tutors there, they don't proofread my papers. They're not editors as such, right? Exactly. So um, the, the, just so you know, the tutors mm-hmm. at the Writing Center are fellow students. Mm-hmm. Um, they're juniors, seniors, and graduate students. So the advantage of that is they've had the experience of working side by side, um, of understanding even right now what it's like to write for a mm-hmm. professor. Um, we don't proofread. So it's not possible to just drop a paper off and come back and pick it up or to um, email it to us and come to it. We, we work with the writer mm-hmm. on the writing. And so um, proofreading doesn't actually help the writer much. However, we absolutely go through and help you find those errors, help right. you understand how to fix them. Um, our goal is that you might be able to do it on your own, but we're always there. Yes, and it's always nice to have another pair of eyes looking at something, too, and not just relying on the awful mechanism that is spell check. Well, exactly, and it's really hard to proofread our own work because Mm -hmm. we know what we were trying to say. And so it's very hard to get the distance and find that proofreading. So we Mm -hmm. also give you some proofreading strategies Mm -hmm. to help you work on it and as your own as well, but absolutely those extra pair of eyes. You know, just kind of wrapping things up, are there other things that you want us to know about the Writing Center or what we can expect when we go there or, you know? So absolutely. Um, I'm a professor in the writing department Mm -hmm. as well, and my office is inside the writing center. (laughs) It is handy. Um, My office is right inside the writing center. We work very hard to be as a team. Mm-hmm. and to provide this professional, friendly atmosphere. So if you have other questions, 
um, feel free to stop by. If you need some help figuring out how to upload Blackboard mm-hmm. at the last minute, we can help you with that. So if, if we can't help you specifically, we are really good at finding the resources right. to help you. So please feel free to stop in, ask any questions, and we really love having students come in. It's what mm-hmm. we live for. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things you said about working together with people, some of those resources that you need are right there in the library because there's there's a computer lab down in the first floor and the second floor has the tutoring resource center. You guys are on the third floor. You know, there's a lot of, it's kind of a one-stop shopping if you need some help. So, you know, if there's something that they go to you for, but it's really more a tutoring resource center, it's literally right downstairs. Yes. It's easy and, to get to. And also, I just want to mention as well that mm-hmm. there are reference librarians who can help with uh, researching any Absolutely. project. And we work really, really closely with all of yeah. those services just to be sure that everyone has the net that they need. Many students, and I'd certainly have included myself in this group, look for a little extra help in math. And here at WCSU, there are several places available to help you. The Math Emporium and Math Clinics are what we'll talk about in this next segment. You'll find out what the difference is between the two and where to get the help that you need when you need it. Speaking with us in this podcast is Tom Grant, the coordinator of the Math Emporium. I know there's been a lot of confusion with some students who are new to campus in particular about the differences between the math emporium and the math clinic. So could you talk a little bit about what each of them is? Sure. So the math emporium where I work is a computer lab where computer-based courses are given or are attended by students who need developmental math. That's a math that prepares them to take the math that's needed for their major. Okay. And um, so that is not only a place where the classes happen, but it's a place where students can go anytime it's open, which are generous hours, and get help from either a teaching assistant or one of the professors that's mm-hmm. that's there. Um, because the the courses are computer-based, um, the student, the, the professors are free to help other people too. Okay. And they also have teaching assistants and they're there during the hours when there aren't classes to, to get, uh, get help. And we now, now have new orange shirts to, so Ooh. you can tell who's, uh, who's on duty. So that With helps the new too. logo? Yeah. yeah. Nice. It looks, it looks like this. <laughs> and it says, I can help on the back. Nice. And so the math clinic, on the other hand, is uh, oh by the way the math emporium is is in Higgins Annex. It's still open in the basement level, oh, okay. and it's kind of hard to find. But there's two corridors made of fences that lead to the mm-hmm. two doors that that are on the either end of our hallway. Is it you can kind of get in in that corner where they kind of butt up against Berkshire? Yes. Okay. On that end where the where, towards where the gym wing of Berkshire is. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a corner there, and then there's another one across the road from the honors house. Oh, okay. And it goes into that other entrance. Yep. The old handicapped entrance is mm-hmm. still there. So um, that's all about the math emporium. And the math clinic is in Whitehall, 323, okay. and it's a drop-in math help lab. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to make an appointment. There, there are no appointments preserved for anybody, but you can 
stop by there anytime and get help with uh, your math courses. And you can go there for math emporium classes mm -hmm. or any of the other math courses. Uh, it's staffed with people that that uh, have expertise in at least some of the classes. And if you want to know exactly when a certain class can be discussed there, mm -hmm. there's a schedule on the math department website under the math clinic that shows who's there when and what expertise they have. Oh, great. So yeah. it's it's a very complete and and simple formula that you can look through and mm -hmm. and you know find out when people are there and and what courses they know how to tutor. And I should say what the hours are from uh Monday through Thursday we're open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. And Fridays it's 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. And uh, Saturday and Sunday, it's open, too, wow. from 12 yeah. to 6 on Saturday and 2 to 8 on Sunday. Nice. Now, that's during the fall. Mm -hmm. In the spring, we have, a, we have less of a class uh, roster. Mm -hmm. So the, the hours may be shortened a little bit. Okay. And even last spring, I think I, I eliminated Saturday because mm -hmm. people weren't coming very yeah. much. But those so, are some pretty generous hours. Yeah. There's, most of those will fit for people to be able to do some things. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, and we really encourage people to, if they get stuck with anything in their in their 100 or 100B course, to come to the Math Emporium and seek out the, the help that's provided there. So the Math Clinic, then, it's students who might be having some kind of trouble, not necessarily just with Math Emporium stuff, which they can also go to the clinic, but any of the other right. levels of, of math as well. Math 110, 120, 118 which are all the ones that most of the other majors take, mm -hmm. except for the hard sciences and yeah. math that, that take calculus. Right. But there's calculus, people that can tutor calculus one and two and three there too. So even if you're a lot farther up the math chain, I guess yes. you, there's somebody who's going to be able to, exactly. to help you with that. Yep. Um, I think you said this already, but there's no cost associated with going to the clinic. No, absolutely none. It's, uh, it's all included as part of the tuition. And so you also said it's more a walk-in kind of situation. The you clinic don't... is a walk-in situation, okay. yeah. So you just stop by Whitehall 323 um, whenever it's open. I think it's – I don't have the open hours off the top of my head, but I think it's 9 to 6 most days. Friday might be shortened. Mm -hmm. It is not open on the weekend. What kinds of advice would you give to a student who's – maybe struggling with math, or is some people are just downright fearful of it. Well, uh, we one of the, th the, the things that we talk about in the Math Emporium with the courses, uh, with, with the class in general, is something called the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And that is the idea that your brain is not set in stone, that you can actually change your brain chemistry or brain connections mm -hmm. to to be able to do things that you never thought you could do if you struggle with it. So struggle is not a bad thing. Right. It's a good thing. And eventually, if you really put your mind to it, as they mm -hmm. have always said, it will get better. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of visiting that information often enough that the brain gets the clue that, oh, I need to make these connections. Yeah. And it actually does strengthen the brain. Mm -hmm. It's very much like working out and getting big muscles. Mm -hmm. 
you can get a bigger brain or a more efficient brain by uh, focused study. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found out in a or that I sort of corroborated in some research I did in my master's program was that doing math often for short periods of time mm-hmm. is much better than doing it all at once because it tricks the brain into remembering it and making it permanent because it, you you visit it often enough that, right. that the neural pathways get strengthened oh, nice. from visit, doing it often, not three hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that if you're doing math for a half an hour, you start to get a little fatigued. Yep. It's like it gets too tedious and you you're not as effective in your in your learning. If you take a break though and come back to it, it's fresh again and you get you build some more. Yeah. So really taking half hour sessions, doing half mm-hmm. hour sessions of math is much better than doing a than trying a to three do it hour, in a big stretch. Right. Don't forget that you can also schedule one-on-one math tutoring at the Tutoring Resource Center as well. If you're a student in the Ansel School of Business, you'll want to hear more about the Ansel Commons, a terrific hidden gem at the Westside Classroom Building. In this session, we speak with Elise Budnick, the coordinator of the Ansel Commons, and Stephen Schultz, a tutor in the Commons, who found out all about the Commons when he went there for help. Elise, you've been involved with the center since it started, so can you talk to us a little bit about what it is, how it came into being, and uh, what it's there? Sure. Um, Well, the School of Business, uh, about uh, five years ago, well, actually a little longer ago than that, we've been open for five years, um, realized that there was a need for student support over at the Westside campus, and especially for students of business and justice and law. So um, the acting in interim uh, dean, Dr. Jim Donegan, uh, worked very hard with then provost, Dr. Jane Gates, uh, to create this fantastic resource for students. So what makes it a fantastic resource? Because you need to know what we do. <laughs> um, I think most importantly, we offer, we have peers who will tutor you um, in business and justice and law courses and associated courses like economics and and that would be macro and micro mm-hmm. and also math 118. We also have a great space to study and and work and talk to other students to get to know them and that's your future network when you when you get out of here. Um, we have study groups led mm-hmm. by peer educators, and we offer a lot of assistance on Microsoft products like Excel, Word, and PowerPoint. Um, we have a little benefit, I think, of having small meeting rooms that students mm-hmm. can reserve ahead of time, and you can work in there for up to two hours and with a group. If you have a, an interview, a phone interview or video interview, it's a great place to be. It gives you a guaranteed spot of privacy and the rooms hold five or six people if you're going that route, group projects and such. Cool. Now, I know you're um, you're located right next to the Young Library, and this year you guys have kind of joined forces, Wonder Twins or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Two great centers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One convenient location. Exactly. It's really tough because we are not next to the library. We're, we are in the library. Well, we don't have our own yeah. front door. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to come through the library to get to you. Yes. 
Yes, it is not easy to find us. <laughs> um, so it's been great working with the young librarians. Um, and by young librarians, I mean the librarians at the Robert S. <laughs> young Library, um, who we are all women of a certain age. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a great location because you can come and you can get research help from librarians. You can get citation help. You can come into us. We'll help you with study skills, note taking, um, content stuff, whatever you need. Now, just as curiosity, although this is focused on on JLA and Ancel folks, other people can use that. Oh space yes, too, absolutely, so. absolutely, yes, yes. Because I think, like you said, space is always at a premium and finding a great place to study. Yes. And that's that's a great location, you know, that if people know that it's there, they can make use of, too. So, yes, I, I agree with yeah. you 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, if you haven't seen that space yet, go to the Ansel or the Westside Classroom Westside Building. Westside Classroom Building. And yeah. We used to call it the Ansel Building. But um, go to the Westside Classroom Building, find the, the elevator. Which, if you enter off the patio next to the, the campus center, just walk down the ramp and the elevator's on your left. You can walk up or down. Yeah, you will exactly. come to an elevator sooner or later. It really is a giant yep. maze. maze. Take yeah. it to the fourth floor and, uh, and take left. a look around because yeah. it's, it's a really wonderful space. And, you know, obviously it sounds like there's a whole lot going on. So after you listen to this, take the bus to the west side and go check out the space. Come on um, and say hi to me in my little glass office. Yeah. <laughs> I can wave right at you. Yeah. Tell us about what happens from your perspective. Um, so I think Elise hit on most of the main points of uh, basically what the Learning Commons is. Um, it's a great resource just for students to get together, work on projects, talk, you know, different homeworks out, stuff like that. And it's also a great place to get, you know, the one-on-one -on -one tutoring and help. Um, as a tutor, uh, my main goal is to really help empower students. Mm -hmm. And that really is a broad range of things. Um, it could be from just helping a student get organized or, you know, really tutoring with somebody. And basically just setting up that student to be successful. Um, and then, so basically, I wanted to become a tutor after last year. Uh, I was struggling in a class. And I was studying, and I was just sitting there, and I was just getting upset with myself because, you know, as a normal college student, couldn't figure something out. So I was just like, all right, let's take a break. I took a break, and then nothing really came yeah. of it. So I scheduled a meeting to meet with somebody in the Learning Commons, and he's actually still a tutor. His name is Andrew, and uh, we just talked out, like, the different concepts I was working on. And within, like, 30 minutes, it was just like a light went on, and I was just like, wow, okay, I could get this now. Started doing problems, and it really helped out with, like, my whole test and everything. So it was a great experience. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to become a tutor. And um, I think on the other side, you know, becoming a tutor and being able to have that leadership role has been something else that has really benefited me. Mm -hmm. um, being able to explain things to people is, like... Uh, basically a life skill that I'll use down the line. So I think that, you know, both sides, whether you're getting tutor or say you mm -hmm. want to become a tutor, it's a great space to just go and just see all the different things that are really available to you. So if somebody was interested in having a tutoring session, how does that work? Um, so basically there's two different options. You could stop in the Learning Commons. Um, students stop in all the time, and then I can run them through how to set up a account on uh, the web page, which is also the other way, you could do it remotely through the Ansel Learning Commons web page. 
Um, you just set up an appointment, and then you come in. One of the tutors will be ready for you, and you get a 30-minute or an hour slot, and basically you get as much as much in as you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I looked the other day, and, and they have a list of all of you guys who are helping out with mm -hmm. the tutoring and what specific subjects mm -hmm. that you help out in. I noticed that. Here's more Stephen. Here's more Stephen. I know, so, I know. Well, so we got him to come lot, back yeah. again on the second time during the day. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but our website, just so you know, is mm -hmm. wcsu.edu slash ALC. And up there we have our schedule posted all the time, mm -hmm. and that's the schedule you're talking yep. about. And uh, you can look up by day. You can look up by tutor. You can look up by course. There's lots of ways to use that. Um, and one of the things I think I mentioned that we, we – offer assistance with Microsoft products. Mm -hmm. So our tutors um, stepped up and said, all right, you know, I know Excel pretty well and I can help as a student with that on an assignment. And I think that's a great gift. Yeah. I think we have the Student Tech um, Training Center mm -hmm. over at Midtown. But again, yeah. we need a little bit of something over at Westside too. Mm -hmm. So we don't have tutorials like they do. We don't have the full training, but right. we will get you to the resources that you need yeah. and our, our tutors will help you with that and assignment. You have a really nice section of tips and hints and strategies that fit all kinds of different areas. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, for example, um, working with other students in a study group is a really effective way to study and learn. Um, students do better. You're teaching each other. You know, if you don't remember something, someone else will. It's a very powerful tool. So I really want to spread that. So we offer peer educator-led um, study groups, but if you just want to make your own, we have tips and tools for you right there on the web. You can mm -hmm. do that anytime. And if you want to reserve a space in the Commons, we have that available too. You just go onto our website and reserve a room. Many students have a learning or other disability and may be in need of additional accommodation to make their student life more accessible and successful. Unlike in high school, the ball is in your court for getting the services you need at WCSU. So let's listen in to these few minutes for some quick advice. As always, you can hear the whole podcast later if you want to find out more. Right now, we're here speaking with Director of Accessibilities, Elizabeth Morrill. There's a lot of stuff that you guys do that I didn't know about. So I guess I just want to start in by asking you to talk about accessibility services and what it is you do do. Perfect. Well, I'm excited to hear that there are things on the website that you didn't know that yeah. we did. Um, but Accessibility Services is a department on campus that works specifically for students with disabilities. And we provide accommodations and support services in the classroom as well as in housing um, to address the unique needs of students with documented disabilities. Uh, we are also fortunate enough to offer our students who use our office one-on-one -on -one academic coaching mm -hmm. uh, if they would like to do that. We don't require it for any of our students, but we highly recommend it. Uh, and they come in once a week or once every other week for time management organization and study prep. So one of the things that I was thinking about, um, and this was based on some of the stuff I read in your thing, was that um, the responsibilities for the student are very different in terms of their disabilities when they're in college versus when they were in high school because you know a lot of students had a, a what is it the 504 or an IEP plan that their parents and their teachers worked on and rarely are the students involved in in the development of those um, 
But when you get to school, it really falls on the student to kind of take care of themselves. And it's not just a, you know, one time stop. I'm going to get this all done in my first semester and I never have to do anything again. So, you know, can we talk a little bit about that? Because, um, you know, what are those responsibilities that a student has if they're coming with a disability yeah. that they want some accommodations for? Yeah, so the transition from high school to college is one that is unique to each student, but it also requires a lot of self-advocacy and commitment to requesting the accommodations, because you're right. In K through 12, the student either has an assigned caseworker that is directly responsible for that student's success um, and is checking in with them throughout mm -hmm. the day or throughout the weeks to just make sure everything's on on track. They're also checking in with the teachers to make sure that they're following the individualized accommodation plan. Mm -hmm. And then the student graduates and they're kind of given this, you're ready to move on and you're independent. And they have to be the ones that come forward to our office. And even if in the um, application process they disclose to the institution, that isn't necessarily given to me until the student self-identifies to accessibility right. services. Um, so the responsibility is on the student. Uh, we try our best to get out in front of as many first-year experience classes mm -hmm. that we can um, to let students know about this change because a lot of students don't know that they do need to come forward and let right. us know. Can you just kind of, I guess we'll wrap this back around by telling us where your offices are located and how students can best get in touch with you. And and um, I did want to talk just a little bit. You talked early on about some of the folks who are available in your office for some of the special things. So if you could talk just a little about that, too. Sure. Um, so wrapping it back to our learning specialists. So we have four different learning specialists available to students who are registered and mm -hmm. approved for accommodations. Um, so we have a math specialist who works primarily with our students who are in Math 100 and 100P. Mm -hmm. We have a writing specialist who works on all stages of the writing process with students, and then two learning specialists who work on time management, organization, and study prep. Um, with the goal of encouraging students to access the support services on campus. Mm -hmm. um, so students also have time management organization help available to them through the Tutoring Resource right. Center or one-on-one -on -one content tutoring as well. Mm -hmm. um, they can access the math clinic or the writing center. We just try to create an environment where we understand the student's diagnosis based on their mm -hmm. documentation so we can kind of tailor interventions um, a little bit more specifically before referring the students out to the, the peer support models. Um, but our office is located in Whitehall, 005. We are open Monday through Friday from 8 to 4.30 during the academic year and 8 to 4 during the summer. And one of the things that I'd mentioned before is that that's not just something that you do that one time, that this is something that each semester you have to do because you might need different accommodations for a chemistry class than you do for a writing class. Absolutely. Yeah, we do accommodations course specific, um, and accommodations can change throughout the student's career at WCSU. Um, they might think about accommodations that they know they absolutely need, um, and then junior, senior year get into some of the more in-depth uh, major classes and find, wow, I need a different accommodation. Um, and so that's why we do require students to uh, 
request their accommodations at the start of every single semester so that we know what accommodations they Mm -hmm. need in each class. And also so that their faculty members know. Right. Um, We don't notify faculty members until that student requests accommodation letters. Mm -hmm. So can they do that like right after they've registered for classes? Is that preferred to do it kind of before the other semester ends so that you can start the process? Or is it something that that they should wait? We typically say two to three weeks before the semester starts, just so if there's any scheduling changes or faculty members change, Mm -hmm. we know about it. Once I send out the accommodation letters, there's no notification back to me if a faculty member has changed Mm -hmm. unless the student reaches out to us. Um, So we always say two to three weeks, and then we'll be able to implement the accommodations for day one. Um, But some students wait. They go to their classes and then decide, okay, this class I would like accommodations for. I don't need it in a different class. Um, And they can request their letters at any point in the semester. One of the things that that I want to talk about is is really kind of like if we start at the beginning, so a student has applied and been accepted here, what are their first steps with you and how do they how does that process actually start? Yeah. Um, so once a student is accepted into WCSU, they would reach out to our office. That typically happens through the parents mm-hmm. um, of our incoming freshmen, which is okay. Um, and we try to push back on the parents just to say we would like to hear from your son or daughter um, so that we can hear from them and explain the process of the transition that they're about to experience because at the end of the day, they're going to be their own self-advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, So students would reach out. They can fill a hard copy paper copy in our office of an intake form Mm -hmm. um, that just is basic information about who they are, what accommodations they're requesting, what is their documented disability, and release authorization so that we can talk um, to different individuals in their life. Or they could complete it online. So we're trying to go as paperless as possible, Mm -hmm. uh, but we do still have some students that like to use the hard copy. So either is fine. Uh, They would fill out the the accommodation intake form, and then they would schedule a meeting with myself uh, to discuss what their disability is and what access concerns they have on on the campus in classes or in housing. Uh, The student is also required to provide comprehensive documentation of their disability um, from a wide range of professionals. Um, We accept documentation from primary care doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, um, educational evaluations, psychological Mm -hmm. evaluations. It really depends on what the student's diagnosis is that would dictate what type of documentation we need. Right, because there's all different kinds of disabilities. Mm -hmm. There's there's learning disabilities and there's there's physical disabilities and there may be some mental disabilities. There's all kinds of things going on that people are working with. So it's not kind of a one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So they would meet with me. We would review the documentation together. We would talk about what accommodations they're requesting and mm-hmm. a decision would be made about what accommodations are reasonable based on the documentation mm-hmm. and the student meeting. Um, and then they would be either told that every year they would have to provide new documentation. So some of our mental health conditions do require yearly updates. Mm-hmm. Or they would say your documentation will be valid for the duration of time at WCSU. And then they would be instructed to request those accommodation letters for each semester. I was looking through the site and looking at the the different kinds of hardware that you have available and softwares and and I was fascinated by all the apps that you had there because, you know, I, 
I like to think that I stay relatively current on what's out there. And I was totally blown away by just the sheer numbers of of assisted or assistive, I guess, um, apps that, that are available. And those are available to everyone, not just students who are on, you know, an accessibility, you know, course that... Yeah. You know, people like me can use a time management one. <laughs> right. And I think yeah. that that's a great point is our website has a whole host of information that even though we're talking about students with disabilities today, it does apply to all learners. Yeah. Um, so students of all abilities can access the assistive technology that we have yeah. on our website. Um, one of the things that is probably the most valuable for all students on campus that a large number of students don't know about is a software that we have called Read and Write, which is available for every single student on this campus to download to as many computers as they would like, uh, which is a free reading software. So if the student has purchased an electronic textbook, they can have this software program read the textbook to them. So it's like an audible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then it has different features embedded in. So if you're doing a research uh, paper, you can highlight and it will pull out those quotes for you mm -hmm. and it will create different, um, you know, maps for writing assignments. And so it has two features, a reading feature to it yeah. and then a writing feature, nice. um, which all students may benefit from. Yeah. Nearly 80% of the students who attend WCSU have some kind of financial aid, whether it's grants, loans, scholarships, or other forms of aid. You'll want to make sure you know what you need to do and what's available for you. So let's tune in as we talk about some of the big things you'll want to know about financial aid so that you don't miss out on what might be available to you. We're speaking with Melissa Stevens, Director, and Amanda Favalli, Associate Director of Financial Aid and Student Employment. Um, can you tell me a little bit about financial aid and student employment and your office in general? Sure. Um, the Office of Financial Aid is located in the old main building. Um, we have been there since I've been part of the office, which is over 24 years now. Um, I know. <laughs> the Office of Financial Aid is responsible for administering all sorts of financial assistance, including grants, Pell grants, federal grants, state grants, um, as well as um, federal loans, as well as private loans. Um, we also assist the bursar's office in establishing payment plans and those sorts of things. Um, so that's the bulk of what we do in general. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything you wanted to add? Did I miss anything? Um, <clears throat> student employment. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we also are responsible for um, the administration and the management of student employment. Um, in any given year, we can have anywhere from 600 student employees on campus to um, as few as 400 in a yeah. year. Um, so we basically are there to assist students in making higher education a possibility for them. That's great. How many students do you see usually? Um, see physically in our office, or, um, things I, are, are yeah. changing. Yeah. Um, so students um, tend to be much more comfortable online. communicating with us online, yeah. via email, sometimes even via text, um, or they like to call. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have so much volume, no. in-person volume yeah. in our office anymore. Students just are too busy. Mm -hmm. um, and just the, the mode of communication has yeah. changed over the years. Um, we see, we process aid for over 80% of our population oh, wow. um, in some form. So mm -hmm. whether it's grants or just loans or loans in combination with grants, um, almost over 80% of our students yeah. are being processed through our office.
all the things that you do, federal grants and state things and scholarships and those kind of things. Can you, I guess, maybe talk in a little more detail about some of the different kinds of aid that's available? Yes, yeah, so there is title what we call Title IV aid, which is federal aid, um, which consists of the federal Pell Grant, the mm -hmm. federal SEOG, federal work study, and then your federal direct loan programs, both the subsidized, unsubsidized, and federal direct parent plus loan. And that's what we can what we call Title IV aid. In order for a student to be to receive any of those, they have to complete the FAFSA form. And the okay. FAFSA form is the free application for federal student aid. It is free. So this is my little plug for students. <laughs> do not pay anybody to do your FAFSA yeah. form. Um, <clears throat> and that is one component of aid. There is another component, which is state aid, um, which consists of funding that we receive from the state, mm -hmm. um, what we also call student set-aside aid. Um, where students can receive what's called the Connecticut State University Grant. Then we have a, a small source of institutional funding called the Western Connecticut State University Fund, um, where we generate funds actually from parking fines and vending fees and those sorts of things mm -hmm. um, that we can then give out to students. But it all pretty much begins with the FAFSA form. So what is a, a general student, if they're looking to receive aid, what are the first things they need to do. FAFSA is obviously probably the first thing. So um, we actually say that financial aid is actually pretty easy and you could do it in one, two, three. Mm -hmm. um, and we mean it. And it's basically apply, um, respond, and then follow up. Yeah. And those are the three steps to financial <laughs> aid. And so it's applying, completing the FAFSA form. But also, many of our students get selected for a process called verification. Okay. Actually, thousands of our students do. And what it essentially is is ensuring that the information they provided on the FAFSA form is accurate mm -hmm. and true. Um, and it actually is a, an accountability piece for the financial aid administrators to ensure that we're awarding based on accurate information and that we're mm -hmm. checking the things that we need to check. Um, so students will receive, if they are selected for verification, they will receive many, many emails from a company <laughs> called Inceptia. It is a third party that we have contracted with, and actually all the schools throughout the state have, mm -hmm. um, have contracted with so that they complete the verification requirements directly with our third party vendor, Inceptia. And um, what that allows them to do is instead of walking into financial aid with a stack of paper yeah. um, and not necessarily knowing what document to give me or maybe it's not signed or um, is they can upload it right directly to the um, gateway mm -hmm. by taking a picture of it on their phone and they upload it and then um, Inceptia conducts the verification for us yeah, and cool. then notifies us. Yeah. So it has really allowed us to streamline the process and it has taken away that burden in the load out of our offices yeah. and really allowed us to be able to give students more one-on-one -on -one attention, mm -hmm. which is really what our job is. As a practice in our office, when a parent asks to meet with us in person, mm -hmm. we prefer that yep. the student be right. with them. And, yep. and it's important that the student's there because the student's really the one who needs to understand right. everything. And when mom and dad are not here, mm -hmm. we are. You know, mm -hmm. we're in the office, so the student needs to be able to have a, a connection with a person right. in the office, know a face, know a name, yep. and feel comfortable enough to come in and say, hey, Melissa, I met with you and with my mom, but I have a quick question. Mm -hmm. Or can you help me get a book? You know, I, yeah. I don't have enough money to get my psychology yeah. book or whatever it might be. And do you miss that piece if they're not present right. in the meetings? Right. So we do request um, when possible that a parent brings a student, even if we have consent, with mm -hmm. them so that they are part of the process right. and they understand what yeah. they're getting into and what the process is and, and that it's not always so easy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think 
having a daughter in college too, <laughs> that I like to have her know what's going on. Absolutely. And I worked really hard to make her independent. So half the time she's well aware of what's going on. It takes care of it and I have nothing to do with it. Yeah. You know, but I think one of the things that you can do if you're a parent is have some of those discussions about the information sharing and things early so that mm -hmm. it's not, you know, something is screwed up with my financial aid. <laughs> you have to fix it, mom. Right. And and then find out that you can't fix it because we can't talk with you about it. So, right. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. It's really important that students are part of the process um, in that they're they're invested in the process so that they understand what's going in and they can help themselves essentially when mom and dad are not here to assist them. And I think as parents, we all, that is our goal to make our children independent. I don't know how well I'm doing, but. <laughs> <laughs> that last area we talked about in the financial aid department is student employment. There are over 600 students employed on campus and you could be one of them. Let's hear from Dr. Anna Maria Heredia, the assistant director of financial aid, who oversees student employment at WCSU. She's got some information and advice about working on campus and why it might be good for you. You know, I think I kind of want to start just by you were a student employee here yes. when you were a student. Can you talk just a little bit about that? And Sure. Um, I began working on campus the summer after my freshman year, which is a pivotal time yep. for students. Um, so finding my way through the first year um, and then really finding my grounding mm -hmm. when I started working on campus, mm -hmm. I think it, it offered me, and I see it now, it offers yeah. students an opportunity to connect with the university yeah. um, and to people at the university. Mm -hmm. so you meet who the administrators are, what they do, what their roles are, um, and you meet other students who work on campus mm -hmm. and who are just trying to make it through just like you. Yeah. It's, I was a student employee, too, and uh, so, you know, I did things from delivering mail. I helped run a theater on campus. I did, my favorite was night guard was our term, <laughs> and, and we act, literally walked through the halls at night to, you know, make sure nothing untoward was going on. And, you know, for me, it was that my parents paid for my college, so I, I didn't have to worry about that or loans or things, but... I didn't want to keep asking them and sticking my hand right. up for money. So it gave me spending money, right. um, mm -hmm. you know, which is really good. Plus, it just gave me something to do mm -hmm. so that I wasn't getting myself in trouble a lot <laughs> of the times. And, um, you know, it it really and I think maybe the same thing happened for you. It really introduced us to this whole, you know, employment opportunity that a college career has. Right. Um, right. I know. never... I think following my, my student employment is when I really began delving into being active, more mm -hmm. active on campus. Yep. Um, my first job on campus was actually in the Career Development Center, <laughs> um, which is now the Career Success yep. Center. Um, I also worked for Dean Constance Wilds mm -hmm. um, yep. and Dr. Bernstein at one point um, and for the uh, EAP program, which yep. is the IAP program. Mm -hmm. So I had different experiences, but yeah. all... Great experiences that led me yeah. back to Western. <laughs> exactly. What are some of the things people can do as a student employee on campus? Where are some of the places they can work? Well, Western actually employs about 800 of our students wow. um, across campus in different offices. Um, and in different areas, um, there's the administrative offices, mm -hmm. um, which are your 
typical hours, so it could limit some students yep. depending on their schedules. Um, but we also have the library, campus and student centers, um, event, the event uh, mm-hmm. programming, which have later hours, yeah. um, which is helpful as well. So students can work almost anywhere on campus, yeah. um, not necessarily uh, directed toward their major. Mm-hmm. Um, they can work in any capacity. The good thing with student employment is it is a good first step. Right. Um, it helps students learn skills that they can use mm-hmm. beyond Western um, and transition them into real life. If a student is interested in working on campus, where do they start? Um, well, new this past year, um, we've, we've partnered with the Career Success Center mm-hmm. to post um, jobs on Westcon Works. Mm-hmm. Um, so the jobs are, are posted there. It's the, the departments will right. post whatever needs they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, our office directs students to, to Westcon Works. Okay. Um, but initially, we do host, our office hosts a student employment job fair mm-hmm. um, during the first week of the fall semester. Um, we invite departments to participate, invite all students um, to to come out and see what jobs are out there. Um, and those departments that participate aren't necessarily the only departments that are hiring. Right. Um, but it certainly gives students an outlook as to what is available. Right. Um, and oftentimes there are more students than are jobs available. Yeah. Um, but that's it's it's a first look mm-hmm. at what's available on campus yeah. and i think the the best way is always inquiring directly with a department mm-hmm. if you know you have an interest in a particular area um you can always come to the financial aid office and we'll direct you where to go if you're not sure who mm-hmm. you you're, um, need to right. speak with um or where where they're located um and we can refer you to departments just to see if they're hiring mm-hmm. um each department does their own hiring um so financial aid doesn't place students right. necessarily, but we do refer um, if if we're aware of who is hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best place to, to look for continuous posts is on Westcon Works. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I know for our department, we usually have things up on our website too. So, and students who live here are always, you know, they're, they're quite capable of stopping down and saying, hey, is there anything open right. that they're having right now? So, that makes it a little easier for them, but I think for a lot of the commuter students when you're coming in, sometimes they, I think they don't think about the possibility of working on, work campus, on campus, and and it's such a great opportunity. I know that financial aid does a lot on, on social media and things, too, so mm-hmm. students can find you on Facebook and... Yes, and on Instagram. Okay. Right. So we, we do post, if I, if we know of anything that is opening, um, we'll post that. Um, but we typically post any announcements that students need to be mm-hmm. aware of. We try to be like a one-stop yeah. for, for students to get information um, because fewer and fewer students are walking through our doors mm-hmm. yeah. um, or picking up the phone and calling and asking yeah. these questions. Um, so we, we try to put out as much information yeah. as we can. Right. Even if it's not pertaining to financial aid. <laughs> you might think it's unusual to be talking about careers when you haven't even started college yet, but I can tell you the staff in our Career Success Center know what a difference it can make for you when you enter the job market. If you've taken advantage of the Career Success Center from your very first days here at WCSU, 
Here are some thoughts from Director Kathleen Lindemeyer and Associate Director Deborah Minetti. Let's just start off really with talking about what is the Career Success Center and where are you? That's a great question, because sometimes I can't find myself, unfortunately, (laughs) but but I know we we are located one of the best kept secrets right now, uh, and that's up on the campus center Mm -hmm. on the West Side campus, uh, third floor in Suite 300 uh, up there. And what that is, this is a place where we help all students and alumni Mm -hmm. and anybody else who wants to know anything about all those techniques and things of how to find success. Uh, actually during your campus uh, uh, experience and and after. Um, Everything from internships to how to get the internship to finding a full-time job, full-time career, everything. Anything particularly that you really want students to know about the Career Success Center? We want them to know that we exist for them. We're not Mm -hmm. a club. (laughs) Actually, I heard that the other day from one of our students. Everybody thinks you're a club. No, we're not a club. (laughs) We are an office that is one of the most essential things that they should be doing Mm -hmm. while they're at WCSU. We help them understand what competencies that they should be working towards. So that's why, as Deb said, early and often, that's why we want to try to get the students early and often. Um, these are ways, to, and, and we have ways of helping them understand how the whole job process works, what that discovery is, and that life is a process. Life mm-hmm. is a process of discovering, experience, creating, creating your brand, creating your all those uh, your your online profiles, creating your reputation, and getting out there and activating it, doing it. Um, You talked about Westcon Works. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Westcon Works is a, a, it's kind of my customer relationship software with my students and the employers. So this is where employers use to post the jobs and internships, part-time, full-time jobs, sometimes volunteer opportunities. That that students may want to uh, may may want to access. This is also a place to find out where all our events our events are. Mm-hmm. This is where students can sign up for those events. This is where they can uh, get hints on how to do all kinds of things, whether it's their resume and what. And the other way is is it's Westcon Works is the way that I can actually contact uh, certain segments of students and show them opportunities. So I have a great way to use that to contact them. So it's really a, a uh, multifaceted piece of software that kind of helps us not only run the office, but helps provide all these opportunities to the students. So if, if someone's interested in using that, they just kind of create an account and... They all have accounts. Yeah. They just oh, have okay. to, you know, it, really accept it. Is it yeah. if For most of the students, we've got the, the whole banner feed that goes into that. So okay. all a student or alum has to do is... Uh, is sign up, you know, or just yeah. accept it. That's uh, ready to go. You don't mm-hmm. need any special passwords. Except okay. You've got to make your own right. uh, to get in, but uh, that's it. Could you talk just a little bit about what's available? And Absolutely, absolutely. Um, internships are a very important part of something we consider either applied learning or experiential education. It is absolutely essential for any student as they go through their college time, that they mix the academics with experience. You know, I, I, it's, it's kind of a little bit of disconcerting when you, when you ask somebody, how many lines on your resume is their school? And it's two to three lines. Mm-hmm. And what's the rest of it? It's experience, really. 
So the internship is a great way to get experience mm -hmm. and actually experience in the kind of field of kind of trying out your life is what it is, is putting some of what you're learning in the classroom and applying it into something that hopefully has some relevance. And you'd be surprised at how many different kinds of jobs actually do have mm -hmm. relevance to that. So Dr. Terleglio is our director of cooper cooperative education, and he is the person who will work directly with the students and with the employers and help them uh, kind of make a match. You won't actually place somebody in the job. You have mm -hmm. to actually apply and get for it yourself. But what's so wonderful about an internship is it's not only for credit, mm -hmm. but it's also paid. A lot yeah. of students don't understand that. 95% yeah. of our internships are actually paid internships. So we highly, highly encourage students to try to make an make, make that happen while they're here at WCSU, at least one internship. There are a lot of the School of Professional Studies is one that does a lot of practicums, mm -hmm. other internships, and those are actually integrated into curriculum. Right. But most of the rest of the schools don't have that. So mm -hmm. it's really up to the students to m make this happen as free elective credit. Finally, we want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about Title IX on campus, what it is, what it means to you, and why it's important to know. We also want to give you a little information about bystander intervention and some of the training you'll be expected to do online before you arrive on campus in a course called Not Anymore, which is a mandatory training program for students at all CSCU campuses. We're speaking here with Jesenia Minier Delgado, Chief Diversity Officer, and Kara Mackler, Prevention ed Educator from the Women's Center of Greater Danbury. Let's start off just by talking a little bit about Title IX, because I think most people have heard of Title IX, but most of the time that's only in reference to women's sports, and there's a whole lot more to it. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. So Title IX under a federal mandate is based on the Education Amendment Act of 1972, and what it indicates is that no person in the U.S. shall on the basis of sex be excluded from any participation or be denied the benefit or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program and activity receiving federal funds. So what does that mean? Essentially, Title IX prohibits sex discrimination in education institutions that receive federal funding. And that's a vast majority of schools, not just colleges and universities, but we're talking about the K through 12 schools as well that receive funding. There are plenty of resources that Western has established to ensure that students know very much more about Title IX and know about what protections they have available. And so some of the things that we've done or that I've done in the last year that I've been with Western so far is, you know, ensure that the material is out there and readily available on the newly created website for the Office of Diversity mm -hmm. and Equity. And what you'll find on the website is various resources for our campus response and resource team, CART, the membership who is involved, and what pamphlets, brochures, and electronic information that's available to students at any given time. The other aspect of this that was established uh, back last year was the anonymous incident report system, an online system that permits the user, and that could be a student, that could be a community member, that could be an employee, to file complaints, whether it's identified or anonymously, of any matters associated with sexual violence or misconduct. And so we readily received a number of those types of file complaints from many individuals, again, not just students, 
but employees and community members to address issues of sexual misconduct or violence on or off campus. You know, the system permits for the user to self-identify or not self-identify and to submit their complaint anonymously and would permit for us to have as much information as possible to address the matter. And so that document, or excuse me, that filing comes directly to my office with a copy that goes to the university police department. And it is also information that we use to try to remedy as many situations as possible with the university police and other entities on campus, inclusive of members of CART. So on the flip side, yes, we want to ensure that there are no trends that are happening on campus and make sure that we can respond to them readily. But also, should somebody self-identify that they've experienced a situation or a circumstance, that also lends to the fact that we want to offer as many resources as possible, whether it be counseling, whether it be guidance, whether it be uh, reasonable accommodations for anybody that's experiencing uh, dating or relationship violence where there may be a need to accommodate uh, their circumstances, whether it's um, classrooms or academics, housing, uh, counseling, uh, any anything that would permit for that person to continue their education. So, you know, you have to think about the fact that when you decide you want to do this anonymously, now you're doing this on your own where you're, okay, you're making the university aware of the circumstance, mm -hmm. but you're not getting any help to address the trauma that you've received right. or the trauma that you've experienced. And so when you self-identify, there's now more available resources that are given where we can offer you a number of different things that could help with your education and with your guidance here in the university. So that's that's why you have to really weigh the aspects. And of course, with a mandated reporter, if the expectation is at least to report, that's fine as long as you report. If right. you do it so anonymously or not, that's, you know, that's a given, but at the same time, you really do need to report. When it comes to students, they have the option on the right, but then know that you still have resources available to you, whether you do so anonymously or not. It just makes it a lot easier for us to make those resources available. Right, and and we've both talked about some of those resources, but the Counseling Center is certainly a resource, and they're a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anonymous. No, not anonymous. They're confidential. a confidential yes. um, resource. So they they don't have to ever report your name or anything out to that anyone. Is correct. So, yes, there are confidential um, members of our university community that you can report circumstances of sexual misconduct, and they would not necessarily report that out to either my office or the university police or any members of the university and will maintain a level of confidentiality, but it's up to a certain extent. Right. Let me just identify who the confidential members of the university are. Sure. You mentioned yes. one, which is the Counseling Center, um, the Women's Center mm -hmm. for Greater Danbury, uh, our Health Services Office, uh, members of the Health Services Office is also considered uh, confidential uh, employees, uh, members of the Pastoral Services mm -hmm. are also considered uh, confidential uh, members of the university. So so those would be the four areas that students can go to within those spectrums and of course report issues and feel the and know that they will maintain a level of confidentiality again but up to a certain extent where if that member that confidential member believes that there is a risk <clears throat> or a threat to a member of the university mm -hmm. then they would have an obligation to report. But besides that they will maintain a level of confidentiality with reports. Each of us has been near when something uncomfortable has been happening, when we have an opportunity to intervene and change the course of what's going on. Maybe you've seen someone drinking too much at a party and you want to be sure that something bad doesn't happen to them. 
Or maybe you've watched someone having a fight in a parking lot and were worried that something worse was going to happen. It could have been that you saw a parent yelling at a child in a grocery store and were concerned about the welfare of the child. These kinds of things happen every day, and there's always something we can do about it. You know, historically, um, prevention strategies have always centered around the victim. Mm -hmm. Like, you shouldn't have gone out by yourself, mm -hmm. or you shouldn't have worn that, or you shouldn't have been drinking so much. And this bystander intervention idea is a really drastic shift from that. Can you, you know, either of you talk about Absolutely. that a little bit? So, Kara, you described a lot of pro-social behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, the ever cycle that you can observe and see that happens in a relationship or with a connection with more than one individual. And so in thinking of bystander intervention, it's about using strategies and techniques to help intervene in those emergency and non-emergency circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so when you see these pro-social behaviors really manifest, it's really important to know that bystander intervention, it, it, it occurs in everyday public situations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the idea is to focus on how best to intervene or help that individual when it's happening and to try to be as proactive but as safe as possible. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the act of interrupting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like it's really easy. Yeah, <laughs> of course it does. We're all superheroes. Um. <laughs> I hid my cape today. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I think what's important, too, like Justinia was saying, it's there's so many things that we can do proactively before it gets to the point where it is physical violence or if it even gets to that point of physical right. violence. I think people look for those signs of, oh, they have a bruise, I have to do something. But there are so many things that we can do before it even gets to that point, if it even gets to that right. point, because not all relationships that are abusive right. are physical. So people kind of have these cues in their head of when it's the appropriate time to intervene, when in reality there are so many moments before that that they can. There's so many different kind of points of contact. And that even goes for sexual assault. If somebody is concerned about a situation, right, we would hope that at a party, if they mm -hmm. see someone who looks vulnerable and that someone might take advantage of that individual, we would hope that they would intervene before the sexual assault took place right. and maybe not after. Although even just being a friend to someone after the fact mm -hmm. is a great tool for intervention as right. well. Um, but even challenging sexist comments um, or homophobic comments, right. right? If you hear somebody saying something that is degrading to individuals, challenging that behavior is already contributing to a safer community because mm -hmm. we're saying this behavior is not okay. If we don't challenge that, it's kind of a, a pyramid where that bottom piece of the pyramid is the things we're going to interact with the most. It's right. the comments and the things mm -hmm. we hear the objectification that we see in media and advertisements, when we challenge that on a daily basis, we're already setting the tone that that is not acceptable behavior. Right. If we don't, that can escalate to further abuse and violence, which then normalizes those behaviors. Mm -hmm. So early intervention is important. It's mm -hmm. key. It allows at least to avoid a problem, a crisis. Now, I wanted to ask a little bit. I know we do an online training that new students are expected to do called Not Anymore. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it does have a module, right, about bystander intervention? That is correct. <laughs> Actually, as of this year, the CSCU has now uh, 
basically mandated all of the universities, all of the state mm-hmm. universities and community colleges to use not anymore for all new students and very soon for our returning students. Yeah. So um, new students, what they're asked to do is go through a series of modules and experiences and to basically learn more about uh, prevention of sexual violence and misconduct mm-hmm. as well as my standard intervention. It's a 45-minute program. Um, but the expectation is that you're going to come out of it learning a whole lot more mm-hmm. about how to protect yourself and others in a university setting. And so, you know, th- this is something that will be basically rolled out by mid-August so that prior to your registration, you would have all of this information readily available. Great. And Kara, there are some programs that happen on campus, too, during the year that people get to learn about this, right? Yes, there are. <laughs> there are many. Um, yeah, I have the the fortune to come here and do programs in the resident halls. Um, We do awareness events on campus, particularly for October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We also do a lot in April for Sexual Mm -hmm. Assault Awareness Month. So we definitely try to have a conversation on campus, and we try to keep it, um, it's hard to say positive, but we try to keep it light um, because we don't want to scare individuals. Um, We want to just educate them and make them aware of what's going on. Um, So some of our our events are more kind of light and positive. We talk about healthy relationships, Mm -hmm. and then others can be more serious about, you know, the damaging effects of dating violence and domestic violence in our communities. But, yeah, we have education programs that are free. All of our services at the Women's Center are free. So we come in, we do programs on health relationships, dating abuse, consent and sexual assault, um, bystander intervention. We have our Bringing in the Bystander program that we started rolling out last year and received very positive feedback on it. And I think because it really is giving tangible tools Mm -hmm. on how to intervene, so kind of like the conversation we're having, and there's role plays uh, or scenarios more. Mm Um, about things that students have really seen. And I had multiple students come up after each presentation saying, I have a friend in an abusive relationship, what should I do? Or this presentation really gave me insight into what's happening in my family member's life or my friend's or my roommate's life. And it was a very relevant issue for students. So we're happy to offer those programs here. Great. Also, Mm -hmm. let me mention that Mm -hmm. on the Office of Diversity and Equity website, we have a two-page back front brochure about a campus safety plan. And it just permits that user to plan out and map out if they are experiencing any form of sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. or violence to find good strategies on how to keep themselves safe while on campus as well as off campus. So it is relevant. That's actually a really good tool. It is. It's great. It's relevant for resident students as well as commuter students. Mm -hmm. So it addresses what things they should be familiar and aware of, again, commuting off campus or living on campus. There are plenty more services and staff on campus to help you out. In a second orientation podcast, you'll hear advice about planning out your college time and about getting connected to WCSU from many of the people you'll become acquainted with on campus. I hope you'll tune into that podcast as well, and that you'll tune us in as we continue and expand our series. That's it for now from Gavin Grow. I'm Mary Beth Griffin, and if you have any questions we've raised as you've listened, I hope you'll contact me at griffinm at wcsu.edu so that I can help find the answers you need. Bye now.